judgment has set, the books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day when every thought and word and action God the righteous judge shall weigh how shall we stand in that great day how shall we stand in that great day shall we be found before him wanting or with our sins are washed away welcome to the escape for thy life radio broadcast this is a presentation of the independent thusia seventh-day adventist church a revival of original adventism and ancient christianity our speaker is brother nairon medina Good day, this is Brother Medina for Tuesday Seventh-day Adventist, and please let us start with a word of prayer. Loving Father, please be with us as we enter into your word. Bless us with the spirit of revelation, that we may speak the truth and nothing but the truth, to bless all listening, and that they may know that they have hope to be sin-free and to glorify your holy name. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, my dear people, we are continuing our discussion on sin-freeness, and you know, there have been so many ministers and preachers that give the impression for, to those who are in their churches that they cannot be sin-free. Yes, my dear people, they tell them sin is a part of human nature, and as a result of that, it is the nature of man to do wrong, and as a result of that, he must sin. And so they, they present a plan of salvation that shows you do not really overcome sin, but that God just removes penalty. So we ask the question, well then what salvation are you teaching if a person cannot overcome sin? What are they being saved from? You must remember what the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, that his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The issue there is salvation from sin. So salvation is salvation away from sin. And if you say that Jesus is your savior, then he is your savior away from sin, which is identified in the Bible as transgression of the law of God. Now the real issue about Christianity, the real issue about attending church meetings, the real issue about pastors preaching and having religious programs is all about preparing people for the end of this world when Jesus comes. Why? Why preparing people? Because sin is the problem that will cause people to be lost. Yes, my dear people, when Jesus Christ is coming, he is not coming for a person who has sin in him practicing all his wrongs. If you see Jesus coming in the heavens and you are in the operations and practice of sins, do you expect him to save you that way? Then he'll have to save everybody in the whole world, including the dictators that murder so much people. So the point about it is this. The point about Christianity 
is Jesus coming for sin-free people? And if that is the case, then you ought to be sin-free. But alas, today, in religions, people are being taught they cannot be sin-free. They are being taught that they must practice wrong. They have to do wrong. That's what they are being told. And the irony about all of this is, you imagine that a person is in the world practicing their sins, and now they actually think that they can end those sins and be turned around and to be righteous. And now they come into a church. And when they come into a church fellowship, they expect that only to be taught that they still have to practice sin while you are a Christian. And so hypocrisy passes under the guise of what is natural for man. These are the kind of things that people have to face. As a result of that, this is a day and age where hypocrisy is prevalent and reigns and true Christianity barely exists. Truly, as the Bible says, true Christianity will be a remnant. And so, we are discussing the idea of sinfulness. Could you imagine you are in your church meeting and you show where the Bible shows you can be sin-free and somebody in your church tells you that you must practice sin, you cannot say you are sin-free, you cannot be sin-free. Now, why would a person tell you that? Why would a person tell you you cannot be sin-free? Why must they tell you you must have sin? Notice you are there because you accepted Jesus, allegedly, and you are looking for freedom from the wrongs that you were doing through the power of Jesus, and you are being told in your church, in your church meeting also, that you cannot be free from sin, that you must practice sin. You see, people like that do not study the Bible and follow what the Bible says. And as a result of that, the false theology that has gained control of the world and gained control of people and gained control of all those theological seminaries are now spread wide and soon broadcast so that people will hold on to those false teachings as if they are true. But at last, let's look at what our Bible tells us. I'm in Romans chapter 6 again, continuing from last week. Verse 1 tells us, What shall we say then? Here is the question. What shall we say then? Shall we that are dead to sin continue in sin that grace may abound? Did you see the question? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You have grace abounding over you true righteousness being in you and this supposed to lead you to be free from sin. This supposed to cause you to be free from sin. But now you're asking yourself the question, shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? Grace cannot abound because righteousness will not be in you if you are sinning. And then the next verse tells us, God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Did you see that? The question is, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This clearly shows us the concept of being dead to sin means you do not live in sin. 
So a person who is dead to sin is obviously sin-free. This is what your scriptures are telling you. So, again, your scriptures are telling you that you're supposed to be dead to sin and you're not supposed to live any longer daring. I challenge any minister, any pastor, anybody that say you must be practicing sin, that you cannot be free from sin, and maybe now and then you might be able to stop. I am challenging them to follow these scriptures, to explain these scriptures. Because the question is asked, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So a person shouldn't live in sin any longer when they are dead to sin. And how do you become dead to sin? We go down to verse 6 of chapter 6. I quote, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. End of quote. Verse 6 and verse 7. Did you see that? Let's just look at it a little more as we did before. We have been told our old man is our old way of thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your old man, your old way of thinking is crucified with Christ. And that is through the work of Christ. Through him imputing his righteousness to you. Through him not imputing the carnal mind or the carnal thoughts to you. So your old man is dead with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. We already discussed that the body of sin is sin in the body, and sin is manifested in the human body in the form of corrupted emotions. So when it says that the body of sin might be destroyed, the word destroyed in the Greek there is inactivated. So it says that the body of sin might be inactivated, the perverted passions inactivated that henceforth we should not serve sin. Did you see that? So in other words, we know it is evil thoughts that causes passions that are evil to flow. If you don't have the wrong thoughts, the wrong passions won't flow. Passions only flow from thoughts. It is thoughts that trigger off passions in the body. So we are being told here that if you want those passions of the bodies to be inactivated, then, in your heart, your old way of thinking must change. And God changes your old way of thinking. By the Spirit of Truth, He puts His thoughts in your mind to change your old way of thinking. And once your old way of thinking is changed through the Word of God, the body of sins or perverted emotions are, in effect, inactivated. Yes, my dear people. And then it says, so henceforth, you should not serve sin. So here is the person being free from sin now. They're not serving sin anymore. That's why verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Or as the Greek word says, He that is dead is justified from the sin. Did you see that? So in other words, we are actually being told that dead to sin means to be free from sin. That's what we are being told. When you are dead to sin, you have been made free from sin. And it is explained by God destroying the old way of thinking and placing his new way of thinking in your heart and causing those wrong emotions to cease. And this also brings you into obedience to the commandments of God. 
because now you are no longer in transgression, but in obedience. This is what we are being told here. And if this happens through God, then God is saying that he wants you to be sin-free. In fact, when you repent, he makes you sin-free. This is what he's saying here. Now, if we go down to verse 11, here is what verse 11 tells you about your thoughts. I quote, Likewise, reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. End of quote. Did you see that? This tells us that you must reckon yourself to be indeed dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you and I are being told that we must reckon ourselves to be indeed dead unto sin, what does dead unto sin mean? We explained already what dead unto sin means. We are told again in Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So a person who is dead to sin does not live any longer in sin. And if you are told that you must reckon yourself to be indeed dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, then you're being told that you must reckon yourself to be indeed sin free. That's the point. But at last, you have members in churches being told, oh, you cannot be sin-free. In Adventist church, they bring quotations from Mrs. White where she is saying statements like this, that um, as long as you are alive and you have to deal with certain things in yourselves, you cannot say you are sin-free. But she didn't say the word sin-free. You cannot say you are sinless. But what was she saying? In her writing, she was speaking about boasting that you are sin-free. She was saying, you cannot boast that you are sin-free. That's what she's speaking about. And in evangelical churches, they quote and say, he that says he have no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. And they quote that from 1 John. But when 1 John said that, he said that to those who have not yet been converted. When you go and speak to them and you tell them you have sin and they say they have no sin, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. But these evangelicals in their churches take it and apply it to as if the person, even when you are converted, when you have been made sin free, must have sin residing in you. So in Adventism, they use some of the writings of Mrs. White wrong. They also use scriptures wrong. In evangelicals, they use the scriptures wrong and the statements of these pastors that claim to speak from the prophets and claim to speak under being influenced by the spirit of prophecy, they themselves give wrong statements. They're all giving wrong statements. But they're trying to tell you that you cannot be sin-free. And you know, they won't even humble themselves to what the Bible says. I have read some uh, Protestants given an effort to interpret and explain Romans chapter 6 and verse 11 and they refuse to admit what Paul is saying here. Let me read verse 11 again. It says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. When they try to explain that, they try to say, you're not really dead to sin. You just reckon yourself to be as if you are dead to sin. And they change the whole meaning by using the term as if. 
But Paul is not speaking as if here, this is not make-believe religion. This is the real thing. And in the real thing he's saying, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, indeed, dead indeed unto sin. Did you catch that? Dead indeed, dead indeed unto sin. So it means really so, truly so. And if you are to reckon yourself that way, reckon yourself that way in your mind, you're being told that once you are justified, once you are made righteous by God, you need to think of yourself that way. You need to view yourself or esteem yourself to be dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why are we being told that this psychological view of yourself with regards to being sin-free is important? Because if you view yourself as now being made sin-free, the next step will be how to maintain the sin-freeness. But if you believe you still have sin, then you go with a psyche looking to practice sin. And even though you're a Christian, you would tell yourself that your body is so bad with sin and that sin is so much a part of the human body, you must do wrong. This kind of psychological state is wrong. And this is why you're being told that you need to reckon yourself to be indeed dead unto sin. God wants you to view yourself that way. To view yourself as alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. A person who is alive unto God lives spiritually, lives holy, faces the circumstances of their existence without allowing them to be made a fall guy for you. You face the circumstances of your existence and you do not allow these things in your existence to cause you to sin. And this is how you're supposed to think. And if we continue what he tells us here, I'll read verse 11 and then I'll go to verse 12. Here is what he tells us. I quote, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here is verse 12 following in the train. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. End of quote. Did you see that? How do you let sin reign in your mortal body? First, you must think the wrong thoughts, and then the passions of sins flow in the body. Yes, my dear people. You must think the wrong thoughts first, and then the corrupt emotions begin to flow. But since you now consider yourself to be indeed sin-free, you're being now admonished how to remain sin-free. You're being told, let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body, that you should obey it by following the lustful passions in your body. That's what we're being told. So a person who thinks that he's sin-free, made so by God, he has evidence in the scriptures of how God changes him, and he's made sin-free, and he has evidence of this by God, he is not to allow sin to reign in his mortal body that he should obey it by following the perverted passions of the body. Yes, my dear people, you're being told how to remain sin-free. You remain sin-free by not allowing evil thoughts to come in your mind. And therefore, that will make sure the perverted passions does not affect you. It does not flow in your body. So you, you have no thoughts and emotions that are wrong to follow and to practice the works of sin. 
You must remember we sin in our thoughts and in our emotions and in our practices. You want to stop the practice of sin? Then let the thoughts of sin go. When the thoughts of sin go, the passions of sins will be inactivated. And so you have nothing in your mind, nothing in your affections to cajole you or to direct you into practicing sin. Yes, my dear people. This is what we are being told here in the scriptures. So in other words, we are being told here how to remain sin-free after you consider yourself to be sin-free. But at last, if a pastor in a church tells you that you cannot be sin-free, that you cannot be free from sin, notice a pastor in a church tells you that. They give a quotation from the Bible to give that impression because they misuse the quotation. They give a quotation from some book or some writings that are, that are inspired and take it out of its context to make you think that. What should you do? Follow the scriptures. Fight with the scriptures. Attack those false teachings with the scriptures. Refute what they are saying with the scriptures. Rebuke what they are saying with the scriptures. Use the scriptures to go against what they are saying. Use the scriptures to correct their heresy and their errors. That's what you have to do. Now it continues. Let me read verse 12 again and you will see how it continues in a smooth flow in verse 13. I quote, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now here it continues. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God, now here comes the point, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. End of quote. Did you now see the beauty of that statement? In other words, since you are not supposed to let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in following the lustful passions in your body. The point about it is this. You make sure that no wrong thoughts influence your thinking. If no wrong thoughts are in your mind, the perverted feelings will not, not flow. It will be inactivated. Yes, my dear people. And we are further told, you are not to yield your members, that is your hands, your feet, the different organs of your body, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't use them as instruments to do unrighteousness. That's what we are being told here, unto sin. Then we are being told, but yield yourself unto God. How do you yield yourself unto God? By making sure the thoughts that God gives to you through the truths reign in your mind. That means to say the truths of the Holy Spirit supposed to be ruling in your heart. But how do you get the truths of the Holy Spirit to rule in your heart? The Bible tells you, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. To hide the word of God in your heart means you must study the word of God and think about it. When the Holy Spirit unfolds the truth to you, give you revealed truths of faith, Keep that faith in your heart or those revealed truths in your heart and so you will not be able to sin against God because they will expose the wrong deceptions around you 
And once your mind is on the truth, no perverted emotions will flow, but good feelings. As a result of that, your choice of actions will be right. And so you would not be in sin. So you would not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yielding yourself unto God, you must do it as if you are alive from the dead. Of course, from being dead in trespasses and sins. Act as a person who is alive unto God. And then it continues. And your members, yield your members, we are being told, as instruments of righteousness unto God. Did you see that? So your members of your body, the hands, the foot, the different organs of your body, must be yielded as instruments of righteousness. They must be made to do right. This is what we are being told. That's why verse 14 tells us, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, which means under the condemnation of the law, but under grace. So if sin shall not have dominion over you, what does that mean? It means that sin cannot rule over you. It has no dominion over you. If it has no dominion over you, then it cannot make you sin. You cannot be brought to sin. You're free from sin. This is what we're being told. So a person could be made free from sinning. It's right here in the scriptures. Your scriptures do show you such a thing. Alas, alas, many ministers and preachers in your church will preach everything but sin freeness. That's what happens to them. They will preach everything but sin freeness. And why? Because of the teachings of their theological seminaries which they went to, and the teachings in those theological seminaries was influenced by apostasy. And this is the reason why they will never teach you these things. But if they would lay aside those theological seminaries, take the Bible up and teach what the Bible says, then they will have fear that they will be rejected by their people. But then again, why should you study people? Why should you not study what God wants? Because what God wants is good for people. So we have a spiraling crime problem today. And not only Trinidad and Tobago, every other nation of the world. A spiraling crime problem. And what does all this mean? It just simply means sin is being multiplied in its practice all over the world. And what is the solution? Being made free from sin. Being justified. Being made righteous. God removing the old thoughts, placing thoughts of the Holy Spirit, causing the perverted affections to be inactivated, and directing a person by the truths of God to yield their members to obey his law. That's the answer. That's the only answer. So even right now, while they are praying in the stadium or wherever they are, to remove crime from the country or to help drop the crime or whatever they're thinking, you think all your prayers will cause a person to stop it? No. What will cause a person to stop it is when they learn the truth, learn how to be sin-free. And when your ministers start telling their people that you could be sin-free and you must consider yourself to be sin-free when God makes you so. And that the next step will be how to maintain the sinfulness by yielding your members to God. That's what they should be doing. When they do that, it will spread and people will be sinfree. So you can pray for years and years. We're going to still have the problem. Watch and you will see. The problem will only go when we have the doctrine of sinfulness being preached in the churches and spread all over. 
Yes, my dear people. So, in closing, if you want this program, call us at 625-0446. 625-0446, and we will send this program for you with others. And until then, may God bless you until we meet again in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The judgment has set, the books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day when every thought and word and action God the righteous judge shall weigh how shall we stand in that great day how shall we stand in that great day shall we be found before him wanting or with the same